You know, one person could say, man, you're really, you're really laying on the Easter thing today. Oh, I don't know what else we're supposed to do at church other than lay on the Easter thing because it's all about Jesus. I'm going to say that again. It's all about Jesus. Over these next few minutes, I want you to listen very carefully. Incline your ear. Let's hallow the word. Let's reverence the reading of it. In just a simple hour and 34 minutes, the story of Easter, which the world calls, has been beautifully displayed before your eyes. Emotions, sentiments, tears, joy, laughter, all expressions. I've witnessed each and every one of them myself personally since the beginning of this service. I don't know what it was like for the disciples then. I know sometimes we read scripture and we just think to himself, why? Why couldn't they stay awake? They could see what Jesus was under. They could see the pressure that he was under, but when Jesus came looking, they were asleep. I love how the passion of the Christ depicts that. And how when he turns, one said, shall we run? But yet when he turns to go back and face the enemy, he just simply tells them, pray. And that's what I hear. In Mark 16, 1 to 4, it says this. Now, when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome bought spices that they might come and anoint him. Very early in the morning, on the first day of the week, they came to the tomb when the sun had risen. And they said among themselves, Who will roll away the stone from the door of the tomb for us? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone had been rolled away, for it was very large. It was with great surprise to the women who visited the tomb to discover that the heavy slab that had been rolled away from the entrance had actually been removed. Their first conclusion was that vandals had come. Not only had they taken away the stone, but where was the body? Looking in, they could see nothing. You see, like I said a couple of minutes ago, I, I, I can't even begin to fathom what it was like for those three, four, five days for the disciples. 
in the three and a half years that they walked with him, as weird as it was, through that time, this took the biscuit. This was off the charts. Emotions were running high. They just went through the death, the crucifixion, the trauma, watching him whom they had put their trust in, thinking that he was going to set up his kingdom then in Jerusalem. And now they had to watch him, literally their trust, their faith in this man be literally murdered in front of them. I don't know if they slept much. No wonder Peter and the guys wanted to sleep. Have you ever thought about that? Maybe towards the end, coming into Jerusalem, there wasn't much sleep for any of them. And maybe they were just exhausted. Maybe that which was happening on Jesus was overspilling onto them because they felt such a responsibility. Peter was of the mindset, I'm not going to let anybody touch you. No one's going to take you from me. This is not going to happen. You can imagine. And so when he find them sleeping, I don't fault them. Because truly, I think in their humanity, they also had come to the point of being able not to go any further. Looking in, they couldn't see anything. Where is he? Who rolled this stone away? And when it was plain that the body of Jesus was gone, Mary Magdalene left at once to carry the astonishing news to John and Peter. Knowing the place where Peter and John were staying, she hurried along to bring them the word of this mysterious happening. The other woman apparently remained behind, and while she went on her errand, and as they stood around the tomb, they suddenly became aware that a young man was sitting inside the tomb on the right side. He addressed the women, informing them that Jesus had risen. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man clothed in a long white robe, sitting in the right side, and they were alarmed. But he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go tell his disciples and Peter. See, he knows how to reach us at the point that we're at. He might sometimes speak to you in a collective manner. And then other times, he might speak to you by your name. No matter what, know this that God has a plan for each and every one of us, no matter what we feel we have done with Jesus. It's amazing. He told him that he was going into Galilee, and there you will see him, as he said to you. So they went out quickly and fled from the tomb, for they trembled and were amazed. 
And they said nothing to anyone, for they were too afraid. But while the angel spoke, they looked around and discovered that he had a companion. Dr. Luke gives us this additional information. In Luke 24, verse to nine, not 4 and 9, it says this, And it happened as they were greatly perplexed about this, that behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. Then as they were afraid and bowed their faces to the earth, they said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? And he is not here, but he is risen. Remember, he spoke to you when he was still in Galilee. The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and the third day rise again. And they remembered his words. Then they returned from the tomb and told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. I want to put a point in here so that you can highlight it in your life going forward. It's easy for us to forget the promise that God has given us when we come into a moment of emotional upheaval. It's amazing even the best of us we forget what God has said, those prophecies that were spoken, what this one said, that, that one said, what God said to you about your future. When the pressure's on, the emotional upheaval, when everything's coming at you, and it's your worst moment, sometimes even the best of us can forget in the heat of the moment. Thank God we've got good people around us that can remind us that's why it's so important to be in the right company, to be in the right church, to be around the right family, the right body. So that when we fall apart at the seams, people are not there to judge us, but people are there to remind us that when you fall, you shall arise. The things may not be as good today as what they were, but I'm telling you, get ready. It's about to change again. Shut it out. The best has yet to come. One more time. The best has yet to come. See, the question is sometimes asked as to whether there were glorified men right here or were they just simply angels? And though angels are spoken of as men on occasions, the Scripture tells us, it is also possible that these were actual human witnesses. If so, could they have been Moses and Elijah, who previously appeared on the Mount of the Transfiguration? We see two witnesses appear again on the Mount of Olives. I love this. When Jesus ascended in Acts chapter 1, verses 1 to 11, this is a sure possibility that although it can't be answered with any certainty, at any rate, the heavenly visitation was something which so deeply affected the women that without waiting for the return of Mary, they hastened to the apostles to tell them of their strange experience. Mary, in the meantime, had arrived at Peter and John's house. She burst in upon them with strange new sayings. They have taken him away. The Lord is not there. The Lord is not in the tomb. And we don't even know where they've taken him. John 20, verse 2. These tidings startled the two disciples, and without standing upon ceremony or waiting for Mary to go with them, they started on a dead run towards the tomb to see for themselves, to see 
if what was being told them actually happened. John was kind of speedier and he got there first. Peter followed close behind. John 20 verses 3 to 9 tells us that Peter therefore went out and the other disciple and were going to the tomb. So they both ran together and the other disciple outran Peter and came to the tomb first. Look at your neighbor and say, I'm going to outrun you any day. Praise the Lord. And he, st and he stooping down and looking in, saw the linen cloths lying there, yet he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. Sure, you know that Peter would have went on in. And he saw the linen clothes lying there, and the handkerchief that had been around his head, not lying with the linen clothes, but folded together in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who came to the tomb first went in also, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not know the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. I go on to tell you that John, looking in through this door, could see by means of the twilight light the place where the Lord's body should have been. Peter arrived and with his customary sudden actions did not even pause, but dashed in and began to look for clues as to what happened to the body. John followed him inside. The tomb was obviously empty, but the circumstances were puzzling. The grave clothes were lying there as if the body had just evaporated. Here were the grave clothes still undisturbed, as if encasing a body and the cloth that had held a sacred head lying separate as were the custom. But where his face should have been, for this was left unwrapped, and there was nothing. Only a supernatural miracle could have whisked Christ's body away and left the grave clothes in this manner. Besides, who would have carried off the corpse without its wrappings? The men looked at each other in total bewilderment. bewilderment. Slowly it began to dawn on them that what had happened was a supernatural nature. I want you to say that with me, completely supernatural. Say it again, completely supernatural. How many people believe that Jesus is still doing supernatural things? The words of Jesus concerning his rising from the dead began to pass through their minds. They urgently needed time to think, and as the tomb had told them all it could, the two disciples wandering over the excitement of the developments returned to their house. When Mary Magdalene had given the news to Peter and John, she was in no condition to match their pace. Possibly she started to follow them, but more likely she waited for their report. She would certainly want to tell the details to Mary, the mother of Jesus, whom she awakened from sleep, and of course, any other members in that household. In the meantime, the woman who had seen the angels and left the tomb to carry the astonishing news to the other disciples had begun to locate some of them. They would not go to Peter and John's place first since Mary Magdalene had already gone in that direction. The disciples responded to their tidings of seeing celestial beings at the tomb with flat disbelief, crediting their story to a hallucination caused by excited minds. 
When Peter and John returned and reported that they too had found the tomb empty, along with the other women who were there, Mary Magdalene had a strong curiosity to revisit the tomb to see if she could find a clue to this deepening mystery. Can I ask you a question? Are there things that the Lord has spoken to you over the years that it's time to revisit? Are there things that you've heard over the years? Things that you've prayed? Things that you've journaled? Things that you've written down? Things that you've long truly forgotten about? How many people know sometimes it's good to bring out those things that were written years ago? It's one of the things that I love about going back to Northern Ireland. Because sometimes during that visit, I will disappear upstairs to my office, which is just sitting full with everything of those first years of walking with the Lord, being in ministry. And I go through different things, different folders, things that I printed out, things that I wrote, things God said to me, and I never cease to be amazed. Things I remember, but yet there are things that I have long forgotten. Sometimes it's worth a revisit to the things that God did say, how it was said. And now that you've moved on 5, 10, 15, 20 years, is the power of that still alive in your heart? Is the power of that still what's leading you forward? When Mary Magdalene arrived, she looked in, and of course, just as before, the body was not there. Mary was convinced that grave robbers had violated the tomb. I could just imagine her. No, somebody's stolen him. Do you know someone like that? You're trying to keep it calm, and then there's an irate person that's coming in behind you, telling you all the worst-case scenarios. I could just imagine Mary Magdalene coming in there in a Northern Irish way. Somebody's taken him. They've stolen him. Somebody stole Jesus. But you see, people in Northern Ireland that were about to steal things wouldn't fold clothes as they took the body. You might find part of the clothes on the way down the street. So Mary here was a little bit irate, and I can see it in my own upbringing. One person trying to keep it calm, and another person's giving you all the stuff you don't want to hear. They're grave robbers. They violated the tomb. And at a total loss as to what was the next, she stood there weeping. Oh, Mary. It's been a horrible three days. This is the one that got me delivered. This is the one that set me free. This is the one that I couldn't even look at because I was so ashamed. Master. And suddenly looking up, she saw two angels, one at the head and the other at the feet, and where the body had been, 
but she didn't know they were angels. Everything's swirling. Everything's happening so fast. The visitors engaged her in a brief conversation. Mary stood outside by the tomb weeping. And as she went, she stooped down and looked into the tomb and she saw two angels in white sitting. One at the head and the other at the feet where the body of Christ was lying. Then they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. When Mary Magdalene, between her sobs, had poured out her sorrow, saying, They have taken away the Lord, some gesture or sign must have been made by the angels that caused her to look around. And in doing so, she saw someone standing near. That someone standing near was Jesus himself. But through her tears, she couldn't recognize him. And as he began to speak, he started with woman. Why are you weeping? Who are you seeking? She supposed that it was the gardener who perhaps was about to charge her with trespassing. A rather absurd idea sprang into her mind. Maybe he had taken the body away. Perhaps curiosity seekers had trampled down the flowers and she was about to be blamed for it. She cried out, Sir, if you have carried him away, Tell me where you have laid him, and I will go and take him away. Although she had no idea how she would even do that, how she would even carry Jesus' body. But you see, this is all pointing to what it's like in the moment of extreme pressure when everything does not make sense. This Easter message is that to you. What to do in a world that does not make sense. How we start to think weird and wacky things. How we start to get other scenarios, get two and two and get 53. How we start to believe the narrative, how we start to listen to the self-doubt pressure's on. The pressure over these last few days. They watched him die. They watched him disfigured. They watched him. Could do nothing about it. And they finally thought to themselves, now we've got him in the tomb and no one can hurt him anymore. You say, but that's a wild way to look at it. But I can only look at it in the way that I see it because that's how it comes across to me because I know what I would have been doing just put him in the tomb so no one can hurt him anymore you see so great a love these disciples had for him you see when you have this love it's like you want to protect When you have a loved one that goes on to be with the Lord, 
there are thoughts in those ensuing days. Well, at least nothing can hurt him or her anymore. Nothing can touch them anymore. When I've been meditating on this, this is how I feel it. And now the one that stood delivered, he delivered me. He freed me from demons. How could they kill him? But you see, you forget. You forget what was already said. You forget the times that you prayed. You forget the times that people told you everything is going to be okay. How many people understand what I'm talking about today? And then the moment when she moved from just being woman to Mary. Because Jesus knew she's going to need a little bit more than just being called a woman. She's going to need to hear Oh, you have no idea how many times I've cried out to God. And you feel that you're so part of the collective. You don't know what's going on, but yet, God knows what you need when you need it. And Jesus said only the word, Mary. And it was enough. The familiar inflection of his voice caught her attention at once. She said, Rabbanai. She cried and she would have flung herself at his feet and embraced them with kisses. She thought that Jesus had been restored to her on the same basis of the old. But he gently held her away with these words. John 20, verse 17. Do not cling to me, for I have yet to ascend to my Father. To go to my brethren and to say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, and to my God and to yours. There is some mystery in these words, yet the meaning doesn't seem too difficult. Later we are told that the other woman saw Jesus and held him by the feet and worshipped him. In Matthew 28, verse 9, it would appear that Jesus spoke to Mary as the high priest fulfilling the Day of Atonement from Leviticus 16. After leaving Mary, he presents the sacred blood in heaven and then returns for the meeting in Matthew 28, verse 9. Mary Magdalene knew Christ only after the flesh according to 2 Corinthians 5, 15 to 17. And after she found him alive again, she wanted to hold on to what was. Jesus has come back in the way that he was. But Jesus wasn't the old Jesus. Now everything was new. 
am I doing this? Number one, you must know that there is always an answer to every question. And you must know that there is always a solution to every problem. You must know that with all finality, that even in your darkest day, he will still be the brightest light. Even when you feel that you are completely obscure in the crowd, he still knows your name. And even when you want to hold on to how it was, he will teach you that you must move in to the new. Lift your hands with me all over this room. Pray in the Spirit with me right now. This has been such a powerful resurrection service. And my heart is reaching for you right now by the Spirit. How do you find yourself today? Do you still find yourself clinging to the old? Do you still find yourself clinging to the way things were? Trying to make Jesus always fit into your old life. What he said to Mary was this, as Mary, as much as you knew me and as much as you loved me, what has happened this last three days has changed everything. I just don't stand before you as your rabbi. I stand before you as your high priest. And I stand before you as the resurrected Christ. Oh my God. If we ever got a revelation, how much power there is in the resurrection and how much power there is in the reality of new life. If we ever got a revelation of who actually lives within us. Colossians 1.27, pray with me. Colossians 1.27, Christ in you, the hope of glory. We've gone two hours on an Easter Sunday morning. Two hours that I believe will gloriously change our lives. Pastor, it's been intense. It's been emotional. It's more than that. It's been powerful. And it's been anointed. See, your life is not autopilot. Your life is not just living and getting by any way you can, holding on to past hurts, holding on to disappointments, holding on to offenses, Life is too short. You must push into the future and you must let go of the old. You must let go of those pet hurts. But you don't know what they did to me. And what I said a few minutes ago, you don't know what it was like for the disciples those few days. Imagine Peter. The one who said, I will never let this happen to you. And yet he had to deal with standing there watching. 
as they tore him apart. And then they took him and put him in a tomb where they could never touch him again. The physical separation is real. When our son went to heaven, our eldest son in 2005, one of the thoughts that would come to me in the night would be this. As a 10-year-old boy, but Father, I will never be able to hold him again. The Lord would come to me and say, I hold him. He's in your future, as real as he ever will be in your past. And for the moment, Paul, you may not be able to hold him, but know this, that the relationship that you had with him on earth will be different to the relationship that you have with him in heaven. I will still be his dad. He will still be my son. But you must never forget, he will also be my brother, and I will be his. So I can understand the feeling and the sense. I can't touch him. And Mary's agony at him not being there. You see, even on earth today, the blessing of a cemetery is a real thing. Because even though as believers we know that our family members are not there, it's still a place, a point of contact of which the tomb was for the believers. But when Christ himself stood out and he knew what Mary was under and facing, he said, Mary. And at that moment, Mary's world changed. He's now not the dead Christ. He's now not the dead Savior. He's now the lamb slain before the foundation of the world who stands before her. Wow. You see, this year, I want you never to forget this, that all those family members that have already went to be with the Lord, one day very soon, Beyond the rapture of the church, you will be reunited with every single one of them. In a celebration of a nature that you will never have experienced at any time in your existence. Forever you will be with Mima and Papa. Forevermore you will be with your children. Forevermore. And death will never be able to separate you again. I must let you go. But I believe it was worth your time.
for those that miscarried little babies. You may never have been able to hold that little one here on the earth, but there's a day coming where mama, you'll be able to see the child that was conceived in your womb, growing up in a place called heaven. Lift your hands to the Lord. Come on, bless his holy name. Oh, this Resurrection Sunday, give him thanks and honor. Bless him that there's no end to this. The only end is tears, death. The only end is torment and torture. But there's no end to that life he came to give us, that life, eternal life, that giveth to the full till it overflows. I tell you this Easter 2023, it's a time to rejoice and know that my Savior lives and no matter what's going on in the world, he still knows my name. He still calls me by name. And no matter what has happened in my life, I know that the end shall be greater than the beginning. For the best has yet to come. Shout it out. The best has yet to come. Stand to your feet with me this morning. Begin to bless him and praise him and honor him and glorify him. Thank him for what he did for you. Thank him that as you go to lunch today with your family, with your friends, thank him that as you take part in fellowship somewhere this afternoon, know that as we eat the chocolate, We cast those calories out in the name of Jesus. How many people are glad you came to church today? He's a great God. Shout it with me. He's a great God. One more time. He's a great God. Say this with me now. Forevermore. I believe that Jesus is alive risen from the dead and seated at the right hand of God. I believe that I am a winner. I'm an overcomer. I am victorious. And I believe I am part of a victorious family. In the name of Jesus, this week, I receive the blessing of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I I'm a son of God, and I have family rights. I believe life is greater than death. I believe that hope lives within me. This is the greatest day to be alive. If you believe that, give the Lord praise and honor and glory today.